The following is an interview with author and Mexico City psychotherapist Antonio Primavera. I had the privilege of meeting Antonio when we were both graduate students studying transpersonal psychology at Sofia University, then called the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology, in 2012. One of the greatest gifts that the study of the transpersonal has given me is a group of eclectic and wonderfully eccentric people whom I can proudly call my friends. You will meet some of them in future episodes. Their interests and expertise are incredibly varied as the transpersonal has the unique ability to make room for, well, pretty much everything you may ever want to explore. Antonio's work is no exception. Starting out in an experimental punk rock band, then on to a writing degree from Harvard, he landed in Mexico City where he volunteers a good deal of his time helping the most destitute in the roughest neighborhood in a city of over 20 million people. He fell in love and married a brilliant Mexican woman with an equally interesting background, a fellow scholar who works as a college professor in the city. With his ability to embrace something so dark, the transpersonal attracts all kinds after all, I felt an immediate kinship to him, and often related my own research into the psychology of incarcerated men to our mutual fascination with the spiritual side of our collective darkness. For Antonio, this was embodied in the folk saint known as Santa Morte. Enter Antonio's book. Even though I had been familiar with his research for some time, I had very little idea which direction he would choose to go in for this project. While he does explain the technical aspects of his research study, the one he was going to use for his dissertation, he took a major departure from what I would suspect even the most liberal interpretations are for formal research. He does this by making this a deeply personal voyage, one where he examines the changes he experiences while researching Santa Morte and living and working in the toughest barrio in Mexico City as a Caucasian American male. And make no mistake, change him it does. This seems to be the central point in his exploration into Santa Morte, the deeper questions and feelings surrounding our own mortality and the mortality of those we care about. Ultimately, Antonio's grand message is a positive one, as it is this knowledge of our impending death that drives us not to waste time while living and can truly infuse our lives with meaning, if we embrace it. Antonio and I turned into great friends and I regard him as one of the most interesting fellows I know. My father and I even make a guest appearance in his book on page 171 when he describes introducing us to one of the central figures in the worship of Santa Morte, the venerable Donna Queta. Along the way, Antonio also describes living in Mexico City as an American, his relationship with his wife, and his day-to-day -day work as a psychologist. Overwhelmingly, however, his book is a meditation on a very profound subject written by someone who has first-hand experience becoming a follower or devotee himself and his reflections on the subjective meaning of it all. While this kind of introspection might seem tedious to some, Antonio's writing is skillful and able to connect to a kind of universal experience, the existential dread we all carry, consciously or unconsciously, of death. In the end, Antonio's work leaves a significant amount of room for people to draw their own impressions and conclusions about this illegitimate sect of Catholicism, widely embraced by those who are often the most marginalized by the social and political wheels that incessantly turn in Mexico City. But like the scholar that he is, Antonio's genius is in finding some of the most profound wisdom in the dirty gutters of this megapolis, where the suffering of daily life demands the same reverence for the dark as it does the light. This episode is about the cult of Santa Morte, part two.
Hello, and welcome to Psychology After Dark, the podcast where we explore the dark side of the human condition. We're your hosts, Dr. Jessica McCono and Dr. David Morelos. So, David, I'm pretty excited about this episode as it's our first interview of an expert in the field, and it's the long awaited part two on the cult of Santa Muerte. Yeah, I've been really interested to get some firsthand opinions and information from Antonio. I agree. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. Sounds good. To start, who is Santa Marte? Well, she's she's a Mexican folk saint, pretty much the personification of death. Uh, Santa Muerte could be Saint Death or Holy Death. And she takes the, uh, she, she looks like the Grim Reaper. And, you know, uh, most people say that she comes, you know, her, her origin is... Uh, Mictlán de Kutli, the Aztec god of the underworld. There, there's Mictecsiwatl, the, the female. There's a, there's a male and female, like, like in uh, Hindu, you know, there's always the, the male side, the female side. But for some reason, uh, you, we know Mictlán de Kutli better than the male side. And for whatever reason, uh, Spanish nouns having gender, she's feminine. But unlike other saints, she's not based on a, a real person that we know of, correct? Uh, no, no, I, I, she's, yeah, she's, she's death. You know, there are other gods of death, whereas she's not a god of death, she is death. Yeah, I, I guess sometimes uh, you can be so close to this thing and for so long that uh, maybe a, a lot of the, the obvious things get left, left out. Uh, like there, there are a lot of things that I, I don't think to say because uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm too close to it. Right, you know it too well. Yeah. So she personifies death, but in that sense, she's not evil. She's not an evil figure. It's, it's more of almost like a reality. Is that correct? Yeah. There's, there's an old Spanish concept of uh, muerte santa, like a holy death, uh, which would be you know dying in a, in a good way you know, through heroic deeds or whatnot, and also, you know, having uh, received uh, last rites. So that would be a muerte santa, as opposed to a santa muerte. But I mean, I, I think this is related. It's, you know, like having, having a good death, being able to, you know, she's like um, a gatekeeper. And I just wanted to point that out, because I think when people see photographs of her, right, she looks very scary. Like you said, she's she's like a grim reaper type character that I think people automatically will start, you know, start to think, well, this is this is evil or this almost like devil worship or something. And that's not at all what we're talking about. Right. Well, yes and no. <laughs> OK. I mean, it, 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 it can be. It certainly can be. I, th I think that most people don't most devotees don't take it that way. But again, it's 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 all of the same thing. I, I would say it's not evil. It's just uh, you know the shadow side. It's well, it's 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 death. That's it's dark and mysterious. And who really knows what that is? I mean, we could say more or less what 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 is life, but we can't really say what is death other than the absence of life. So this is something to do with that 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 mystery that, which you know why. Why is it, uh, you know, it's dark, you know, as in, we don't know. Uh, why is, why is she wearing a, uh, why is she wearing a black uh, cowl? Well, this is, this is like the, the mystery. 
uh, who knows? Uh, I mean, we're, we're all this skeleton beneath our flesh, you know, so there's something to that there. I guess that might be helpful. So Antonio, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like a little bit about your research. Let's see. Uh, well, I, I, I work as a, as a psychotherapist in, in Mexico City. You know, I, I don't know. The, the initial thing with Santa Muerte was uh, when, I, when I first came here, it was um, right after burying my, my best friend in Texas. I'd already planned to come here, but, and he knew that, but like a, the jerky he was, he, he, he died and made me uh, change all my travel plans uh, so I could go and bury and eutilize him and then, uh, you know, go, go on to Mexico City from, from Texas. That's when I, I saw the figures of, of Santa Muerte in, uh, in market stalls and just immediately like felt a, a connection to this. I mean, she looks like uh, the Grim Reaper, so it's not really, um, I mean, it's an image I think we've, we've all seen a, a, a lot. But I guess that, I mean, that was the initial, the, the impetus, uh, you know, what sort of drew me to her. And, it, you know, after that, it was like a, a slow learning process. I, I started volunteering at this low-cost community mental health clinic in Barrio Tepito, where um, she's been uh, worshipped. This has been a practice, uh, like a folk religion for a long time, but it used to be um, rather secret. But in 2001, um, there was a lady, uh, Doña Queta uh, Romero, in uh, Barrio Tepito. She was the first person to put a, uh, a Santa Muerte shrine in, in the street. And uh, this sort of made public, you know, something that it had always gone on kind of, yeah, I guess private's the right word. I mean, it's not necessarily that it's secret or anything, you know, but um, I mean, there, there, there are um, street shrines to saints, the Virgin, Jesus, uh, all over the place. And probably the worse the area is, more the more shrines there are. And she was the first to put uh, a Santa Muerte shrine. And then since that, the thing has kind of taken off in popularity, at least a lot more than it had been. And then you have like people who are not Mexican, people who are foreigners uh, also, you know, coming to this. Uh, because even though Barrio T Tepito is a, a really bad, notorious area. When there are the feasts, you know, for for the the saint, it's a it's a congenial environment. People are are really friendly and and, and welcoming. And I I've never seen any uh, any any difficulty or you know violence or or anything like that. Um, everyone is I guess they you know figure everyone's there for the same reason and everyone's calling each other brother sister that kind of thing. I mean, you'll, you'll run across a, a lot of rough people, but really friendly, at least at this, uh, at this time, these times. So that's sort of interesting, uh, this idea that in the worst neighborhood in Mexico City, that this particular saint, who most people would associate with the Grim Reaper as being a very dark saint, though, is the sort of the light that brings people together in this area, you know what I mean? This sort of collective suffering that they're all going through and all experiencing in this really poor neighborhood. And yet Santa Morte seems to be like this sort of source of joy. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, Barrio Tepito is, has been notorious since the time of uh, the Spanish conquest. It was the last area to fall to the Spanish. And um, it's also, I mean, another, uh, people would also call it like Barrio, Barrio Bravo, which is like um, Bravo, like brave, but like more like in the 
the sense of like an Indian brave, like fierce. It's, it doesn't really translate, bravo doesn't really translate to, to brave as, as much as like fierce. So fierce neighborhood. Uh, they sort of take pride in this, um, this rebelliousness, this uh, being um, on the outside. There are, there are even times when um, the police have cordoned off the whole barrio to check who comes in and who comes out. Like the barrio goes, you know, goes into lockdown. There are a lot of times, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I suppose I see some police here and there now, you know, now and again, but typically it's like somewhat of a lawless area. Like um, drinking is a, is not a, you know, that's against the law, drinking in public, but there it's okay. Um, <laughs> uh, consuming drugs in the, you know, in public, against the law, of course, but there people kind of look the other way. And I, I think um, like what constitutes criminality, you know, when, you know, when it's uh, governments or very wealthy people doing it, it's sort of okay. But when it's, you know, on the lower level, poor people doing it, it's not okay. So there, there seems to be some kind of um, strange morality there, if, if, if you know what I mean. Um, so was this the was Barrio Tepito the first place that Santa Muerte really existed, or where did this folk legend come from? Well, it's hard to say exactly. I don't think anyone exactly knows. I, a lot of people say that this this goes back to Aztec times, and that she is kind of like Mictlantecutli, um, uh, who was the the lord of the Aztec underworld. You know, sort of like uh, your Hades or some. You know. Uh, a bardo one would have to pass through after death. And I don't know, a, a lot of Western religion tends to prefer one side of the thing to the other, like the light side as opposed to the dark side, you know, the, the good as opposed to the bad. And, you know, a lot of more traditional religions or spiritualities take in, you know, accept everything. It's all a part of the whole. I mean, there is no black without white, no day without night. All of all of these aspects uh, should should have some sort of uh, reference or respect. You see this in um, India, in Hindu, with well, there's Shiva, and then the terrifying form of Shiva, Bhairava, or there's Parvati, Shiva's wife, uh, the goddess. But then she has her terrifying side, Kali. And, you know, all, all of these different aspects are, are all part of the, well, the, the whole of, of, of nature, uh, the cosmos, however you want to look at that. I think it's just accepting the totality rather than trying to cut off parts and say, okay, we'll prefer this part and, you know, despise this part. And, and that seems like a really sort of important concept in the worship of Santa Morte. It's almost as if she encompasses or gives voice to a very large and very marginalized segment of the society there in Mexico City, because there are so many incredibly poor people that live in that city. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's true. I feel like there, I mean, I know some, you know, uh, wealthier educated people who are devotees also. There, there are even rumors that um, people at the highest levels of, of government and, and whatnot are also devotees, like the, uh, the uh, Atlacomulco group, which, you know, are the, this isn't known if this actually exists or not, but 
the kingmakers, the ones who decide who's going to be president, these kind of people. And it's been speculated that they're de devotees also. But you know, you're not you're not going to see these people at the at the feasts in Barrio Tepito because most of your 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 average Mexicans and um, especially the wealthy, educated people don't go to Barrio Tepito. It's just uh, it's always been considered like a no-go area. I don't know. I, I since I've 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 practiced there for well over over ten years. I, I haven't had any problems, but I, I figure that's people people come to understand. Um, I'm I'm there as a volunteer, and I'm I'm doing something helpful, and because of this, I get left alone. I I figure that, and and other other people have have, have said this is this is probably the reason. Are you a devotee as well? Yeah, I am. I mean, for for me, I mean, I my. My general spirituality is Hindu Tantra, like Shaiva, Shakta, Tantrism, like um, worshiping of Shiva and uh, of, of Shakti, the, the goddess. And so for, for me, as a non-Christian, Santa Muerte is just another um, personality, uh, another form of God. I mean, I, I think in, in Catholicism, I mean, there's there's a lot of pagan stuff that goes on with Catholicism. Uh, I mean, uh, this, this is the Catholic church the catholic imperialism is <laughs> taking um you know local folk beliefs and uh putting a, a catholic spin on on this i mean like the virgin of guadalupe was malintzin also you know an aztec goddess and gets transformed into the virgin of guadalupe you know whatever they can use they'll they'll use to, to you know bring it into the catholic fold they've not been able to do that with santa muerte because of this whole thing of um well, Christ is supposed to be against death. I mean, as, as far as I understand the Catholicism, that this is antithetical to, to Christian practice. But the funny thing is, I mean, I think a lot of Santa Muerte devotees claim to be Catholic. You know, it's a, just another saint, and there are so many. So do Santa Muerte devotees often get accused of devil worship and that sort of thing? I think that comes more from Catholic hardliners, I guess there's um, there are gray areas to this because uh, a lot of people go to curanderos like medicine men. There are there are so many um, folk spiritual practices that get folded in with Catholicism that um, I'm, I'm not sure where the line really gets drawn. Have you ever had strong reactions from people when they find out that you're a devotee, though? Yeah, certainly. I don't know. I, I, I think a lot of people prefer the the sensational aspect of this. Like there there was uh, some serial killer, El Mocha, Mocha Orejas, uh, Ear Chopper. This was a, a long time ago. He was arrested and, um, you know, was allowed to bring his Santa Muerte statue with him, like when he was arrested, something like this. And uh, so th this kind of thing makes big news. Uh, Oh, this this killer had a Santa Muerte shrine. It's like, well, you know, th they don't um, they don't tend to report on the killers who have shrines to the Virgin of Guadalupe because they all do. <laughs> you know, this that's not news. It's not interesting. Um, oh, a killer was a devotee of Jesus or uh, the Virgin of Guadalupe. Uh, wow, we can hear those firecrackers yeah, we going can hear off. Them in the background. Wow. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah, it's constant. Wow. I'm a little shaken. 
That's understandable. That's, do, that's a lot to deal with. How do you get any sleep? Getting used to it uh, over the years. Uh, I mean, I, I I keep hoping it'll go away. Maybe, you know, <laughs> the this generation dies out or I, I don't know. I don't I don't think there's any end to it. Yeah. You said this is in celebration of what? Who knows? Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm, that's what I'm saying. So every, every day is Saint someone. Got it. So, yeah, it's just, it's constant. Sometimes they start at four in the morning. I've even asked around to try to get some kind of gauge on when I could expect this maybe. Yeah, it's just, it's chaos. Like most of this, uh, this city. Wow. Yeah. So let's talk about your, your book for a minute. Your book was based on a dissertation that you were originally writing for the PhD that you and I were both pursuing at the same time. Yeah. Okay. So in your research, you, there was some elements of the research in the book that you had done, um, but there was also a lot of very, very personal introspective revelations in there as well. I was wondering, how did you sort of come to that for the book? Well, I, I guess, you know, the book is a lot of, um, about 10 years or so of meditating on death and dying and you know I, you know santa muerte is a, a, a big part of that um I, I i think i i initially thought that I, I i didn't fear death but then later on i i came to think well i guess i do fear death maybe even more than others uh it's a part of life and um you know a part of life that's usually at least in the west pushed away um it's not something people generally want to think about and I have to say, I mean, as, as much as I've been helped by meditating on death, contemplating death, being around death, you know, it's helped in ways, but in, in other ways, it's like um, maybe enough already. Uh, maybe I've gone a little bit too too much into the, the other side. But I think, you know, everything needs to be kept in balance. Do you feel like your book was sort of a way to process those 10 years? Yeah, definitely. Sort of... Um, uh, document, chronicle, you know, all, all of those things I, I went through and to put it behind. So you say put it behind you in the sense that are you no longer, even though as a devotee of Santa Morte, you don't take that sort of research angle on the saint anymore? I, I feel like I've, I've learned what I can learn. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm still in Barrio Tepito uh, at least one day every week working at the, the clinic. Uh, as a volunteer, but I don't have the um, the initial uh, attraction that I, I did. I, I think, you know, when you come here, like uh, as a visitor or even when you first move here, um, you know, the city is it's gigantic. I, I don't know, 20, 25 million people. You know, it's chaotic and uh, exciting. And, you know, people say, don't, don't go to Barrio Tepito. Okay, well, I'm going there, you know, to, <laughs> see what, what's that about? And well, now that I know what it's about, it's it's got a lot less mystique. It, it becomes in a in a way uh, depressing because it just you know I guess like the fireworks. Like, what's the point of this other than noise and pollution? And when is it going to end? When will these people change? And probably they won't. Uh, I don't know. I mean, as a, as a therapist, I, I feel like I mean this is why I'm a a therapist, a psychologist, instead of a, uh, a sociolo sociologist, because, um, you know, the individual, I feel like, you know, ev every individual I, I can connect with, groups, that's a, a whole nother thing. I, I feel like, I guess if change does happen, it happens on an, on an individual level well before it happens on 
a larger level. So that's a, an interesting point that you bring up. And I'm curious, in your research, as you were writing the book, you, you know, the book became very personal. But is that because of this desire to want to connect with people more individually and with yourself individually rather than with a group of people as Santa Morte devotees and sort of watching what they're all doing? I think, I don't know, Mexico is, a, well, they say, you know, a collectivistic society as, a, as opposed to individualistic. And what that tends to mean is that, you know, family is the most important thing. It's not that Mexicans really care that much about other Mexicans uh, if they're not in the same family. I, I had always thought it was, you know, when I, when I heard collectivistic, I, I thought, oh, well, everyone cares about everyone else. And it's not, that's not really the case. It's more of a, a family thing. I don't know. I, I, I think in the West where, you know, family is not that important, you know, it's very common to not like family members, not like to... Uh, have to go through the holidays with the family, things like that. Um, there's there's some general sense of our shared humanity where a Westerner will probably be more helpful to a stranger than to someone in their own family. Whereas here, strangers are strangers and family is family, if that makes any sense. I don't know if I, if I answered there or <laughs> just went off on a tangent. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see where you know, conversations go, but it's interesting to see where conversations sort of go. Yeah, I guess I, I'm typically the interviewer these days. I mean, I, I've been interviewed in the past uh, when I was doing bands and uh, things like that, but it's been a long time. I'm, I'm typically, uh, as a, as a psycho psychotherapist, the, the one doing the interviewing. And, uh, I, I already feel like my voice is a little, uh, a little hoarse from talking. I mean, you know, my, my wife's a professor and I, I always say, you know, she talks for a living. I listen for a living. I was going to, I was going to say, I, I think um, because of the Catholic background, to all of this, a, a lot of the, just like with the Catholic mass, it's, it's rote. It's um, there's a form laid down that doesn't differ. There's, and there's the intercessor, the priest, whereas Protestant Christianity is much more free form. You know, when Catholics pray, there's like the Novena, Our Father. Hail Mary. Hail Mary, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and these are, these are form prayers, you know. You're not ad-libbing, you're not saying like, and, you know, help me to get a car or whatever, you know. Uh, you know, you're just doing it exactly by this form. And so the Santa Muerte stuff tends to take these same kind of forms. And when I was doing the research, interviewing people I maybe I you know I've thought about this a lot like maybe my questions could have been better I don't know but I tended to get the same rote responses from pretty much everyone I interviewed so other than meeting people hanging out with people talking with them you know that part was interesting but then the actual like data gathering was kind of tedious because it just kept being the same thing over and over so what did they tell you over and over? I'm trying to think back to some interview questions. Um, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, uh, I probably wrote about it in the book. Um, if, it, if it was, you know, that interesting, which it tended to not, to not be. So that's, that's why I'm not really yeah. remembering much right now. I don't know. I, I mean, it's almost as if 
there were like a conspiracy to like, oh, we're going to always get the same answer. Um, but I know that, you know, these people aren't, it's not like they're, they're, they're talking together conspiring, like, oh, we're going to, you know, you know, it's just, that's just the way it in, ended up. And I don't know, uh, I guess this is the, the interesting thing of the individual versus the collective. Um, the collective for me, not that interesting. Whereas the individual, it, much more interesting. There's shades and, and, and colors and, and whatnot instead of this homogenous mass. Well, I, I'm interested on in why people choose to follow her. You know, what, what, is the, what do they get out of that practice and, and what does that practice actually look like? Well, you know, a lot of devotees say, well, you know, we're all going to meet her sooner or later, but then some of us will be on a first name basis when that happens. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, um, I guess, you know, for a lot of people, the, the violence uh, in, in this country is pretty notorious. But then, you know, technically, this city is safer than Chicago. So I, I don't know. I, I, I think, yeah, you know, being close to death, I mean, that's a daily thing. I mean, I've seen dead people on the street here like two, three times. You know, I never did in the States. I, you know, the Day of the Dead and things like this, um, Mexicans tend to be, I don't know, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to say closer to death, uh, more, more accepting of it. Um, mm -hmm. It's not, you know, the, such a creepy thing to be pushed away as, as in the West. So is it almost a, a way that they embrace it in a yeah. sense? Okay. Yeah, I mean, this, I mean, this isn't everyone, of course. Uh, sure. A neighbor, an old neighbor died recently, and there were like hundreds of people coming for the wake. He was a nice little old man. Of course, he, he probably doesn't even, you know, he, did, he didn't even know about Santa Morte probably. But, you know, his, his body's there in the house lying in state. And, you know, I think probably lots of the people came just for the food. Um, <laughs> because, I, you know, who knows, who even knows that many people? I mean, that, there might have been a thousand people. I mean, wow. you know, people constantly uh, filing through. And, and, you know, in the West, I mean, who wants to go to a wake? I mean, you're not going to even go, maybe you won't even go if it's a family member or a close friend, because it's like, who, who really wants to be around that? But here there's free food, so you can get a meal. And I mean, that sounds crass, but that's kind of, that's how it, how it goes here. Hmm. You know, I was thinking while you were talking, uh, what you had mentioned earlier about the, it, during your research and during the whole research process, how what was really interesting for you was the interactions that you had with some specific characters. And that was in your book as well. And I remember thinking, wow, this is, this is sort of an interesting person. And then you would, you would change to another person that you were talking to during the research process. And that actually seems to fit like really, really well with the whole idea of Santa Morte. Instead of it being this sort of abstract, elevated academic experience, you know, which is the research process that you and I both went through. And I, you know, I had to do it as well. And all the dryness and the uh, tedium that goes with that. But also, really, what I took away from that experience as well is, you know, for my dissertation, I interviewed uh, criminal offenders who probably have a lot in common, I would say, with a lot of the devotees um, that, that you were working with in, with Santa Morte. And I, it's such a different thing, you know, and it's, it's sort of, I thought that was what was really interesting about your book is that you really sort of captured that aspect of it rather than this very dry academic side of the research process. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I never considered myself to be an academic. So I, I, I think it, that, that went in that direction pretty naturally. I don't know. I, I feel like uh, when, you're, when you're trying to do a dissertation, there's um, this sort of form that you have to decide, okay, how is this going to be done? And then it sort of has to fit into this, this form that I felt was kind of constraining. And I, I don't know, it's, it's real easy to, to lose interest um, you know, when you know, constrained that way. I mean, they always tell you, know, you, better, you better love this because you're going to be doing it for so long. You know, it, you know you're going to get sick of it no matter what. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's no question. Inspiration, relying on inspiration is a fallacy. You, you have to have the willpower to see it through because it becomes so tedious, you know, after a while. And, and all the things that they make you go through and stuff like that. And it was somebody, one of the reviewers on Amazon had stated that, that your book was also part cautionary tale about pursuing a PhD, which I thought was sort of interesting <laughs> after what we went through with our PhD program and all that. Yeah, I, I mean, um, it's a difficult process. And I, I, I guess, I mean, there were some good things at the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology to prepare you for that. But uh, I don't know how... how how well anyone can be prepared it's 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 not an easy thing it's really interesting to me though to see how through that research you know and taking that sort of lens and looking at santa morte though coming back to this very embodied person-to-person connection with santa morte and what does it mean to this particular person you know this particular character I think I had talked to you a, a while back and I had mentioned, you know, it'd be really, I think, interesting if you were to go back and really write about those particular characters, the most interesting characters that you came across or still continue to come across with your interaction with Santa. I don't know what you think about that, but I think it would be really interesting. I mean, this, this came up, uh, the thing with um, uh, Kundan Singh and, you know, India's... Uh, being inscrutable because of uh, not having, you know, so much ego. I, I think there's a lot of that that goes on in Mexico too. I, I, I don't know. It seems like there's there's sort of a, a limit to well the individual side. I, I'm not, I'm not sure I I know how to put this into words exactly. I mean I, I thought of this when you when you were saying that um, you had trouble connecting with Kundan Singh. It was and it's partly you know, in a, a larger sense, you know, with Professor Singh, who's who we're talking about, just for the listeners out there, we're talking about an old professor that you and I both had at ITP, but it, it was more for me, the Hindu, you know, one of the biggest complaints about the program that you and I were in was that it, the, the main focus was on spiritual practices based out of India or Japan, and that there wasn't a whole lot in between. And of course, the idea of the transpersonal is all-inclusive, essentially, you know, as there's so much going on around the world when it comes to transpersonal practices and spirituality and stuff like that. You know, I, I know that my experience, even going all the way back to my undergrad years back at Naropa and stuff like that, I've always just had, I guess, a difficult time connecting with traditional Indian practices like Hinduism. And I don't know, I can't describe exactly why that is. I, I just, uh, it's not been anything that has really resonated for me. And so when I, you know, to me, and we talked about this on through email a while back, but connecting with Buddhism seemed a lot easier for me to do, you know, and I don't know. And it's something about 
I, there's a cultural thing going on there where I find it not, I don't know if difficult is the word, because I liked Kundin. Uh, I liked him a lot. Uh, I liked his, enjoyed his classes and stuff. But there was also the other guy in our cohort yeah. who, you know, him and I had a, a major falling out that everybody witnessed that was not meant to be a falling out. It was, it was meant to be me trying, and I'll admit that I joke rough. I mean, I work in a prison, <laughs> you know what I mean? But it, it just, it, it blew me away. It blew my mind that he would, um, he took it the way that he did, I guess you could say. And I, I, I have to believe that there are cultural elements at play from being Indian as well. And I'm not saying that that's good, bad, or in, you know, indifferent or whatever. I just think that it sort of is this very, very different cultural perception, I guess you would say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of that has to do with uh, collectivistic versus individualistic. Uh, and I, I, I think some of the things that I came came to with uh, studying Santa Muerte, it's similar, you know, to studying Catholicism. You know, uh, when it's like the same group wrote formula every time, it, it becomes less interesting. I mean, for me, as you know, uh, a Tantra practitioner, uh, you know, I, I'm not doing this in a group. I'm, I'm doing this, um, you know, uh, alone. And uh, I don't know, these, these, these kind of practices are, 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 are very different. I, I think Mexicans really like huge crowds and noise and i don't i i had people you know uh participants uh, you know people i interviewed uh devotees who would say oh are, are you are you going to uh the uh the big feast day and i would say well i'm there on tuesdays <laughs> i i can go to the shrine and be with santa muerte alone and that that's that seemed to there seemed to be a kind of a disconnect there Oh, why why wouldn't you want to go when there are thousands of people there it's like well that that to me is not not even a question that's <laughs> that seems obvious like if i could avoid crowds and noise and uh you know people smoking weed and uh drinking in the street and doing inhalants then i'm gonna i'm gonna choose for going uh, you know when no one's there and i can uh, uh be there alone and uh and then move on with my day um I guess that's that's a, a basic difference. The the big collective uh, show of devotion, as opposed to uh, the more the quiet, more uh, devotional, like meditative uh, type of practice. Is that how people tend to kind of um, practice? That I mean, it's not really a religion, right? Um, but I mean, how do they show their devotion to Santa Muerte? Is it just through these feast days or? I mean, is there like an individual component and a group component? Yeah, I, I mean, that's, I mean, the, the fireworks that you're hearing, you know, outside um, right now. I mean, I'm sure that's some, some Catholic um, practice that's going on now. Uh, that's, you know, involves uh, offering food and eating the food. Lots of like social aspects to, to the thing. Um, it's not that different. Oh, there's there goes another one uh, right now. Um, that's uh, it's not that it's pretty much the same with Santa Muerte as any other Catholic saint. There's there's not a lot of um, there's not a lot of difference. A lot of prayers and things like this follow that same Catholic form. Not to say that you know you can't do your own thing, um, which you know I do, and other people do. But um, you know it's again the um, 
the individual versus you know the herd uh, you know this it's it just um, different different preferences I guess uh, culturally Mexico is very much uh, you know herd society uh, uh, collectivistic society collectivistic sounds fancy it's I you know mob or herd sounds uh, more fitting to what is actually going on so will the people in Tepito they'll celebrate Santa Muerte's feast day and then will they have feast days for the other saints as well, typically? Well, yeah. I mean, this is going on all the time everywhere here. I, I don't want to say that everyone in Tepito is a devotee of Santa Muerte. It, that's just where the first public shrine was, you know, and I guess that's still the kind of an epicenter. Uh, there, are, there are other public shrines now. But yeah, I mean, this is, this is, this is going on all the time, this sort of um, group mass practice. And is there anything that's kind of out of bounds? Um, I mean, when I think of Santa Muerte, I think about, you know, what we hear is that she's like the saint of the, the cartels, right, of, of the criminals. And so in the practice, I mean, are, it sounds like people use, use drugs, they use inhalants, they, they smoke marijuana. Is there anything that in the practice would be considered out of, out of bounds? Yeah, I probably, I, I mean, I can't think of anything specifically. Um, I mean, I, I know that Santa Muerte gets attached to, you know, the cartels and, and, and whatnot, but that's just because it's not sexy. It's not, ex it's not exciting to talk about cartel uh, people being devotees of the Virgin or of Jesus or San Judas Tadeo, which is another huge one, the patron saint of, of um, desperate and lost causes. I mean, you, you hear maybe some about Jesus Malverde, the contrabandist uh, saint, uh, the little little fellow with a mustache. I mean, he's another Mexican folk saint, I guess, from Sinaloa. Like a sainted um, smuggler, contrabandist, I, I, contrabandista. I, I don't know how you would say that in English, uh, contrabandist, I guess. I mean, he's another huge one that, you know, is also associated with the cartels. It's It's just that something like that or Santa Muerte sells sells newspapers. I mean, it's not like these people are not devotees of the Virgin or Jesus or, or you know, whoever else uh, also. It's just that that's not interesting. That's not selling. It's not as sexy as uh, Santa Muerte is. So is it true? I had also heard that Santa Muerte is also uh, the patron saint of law enforcement. Is that is that true? Have you found that? Yeah, that's kind of um, one of those funny things uh yeah the cartels and and the police both venerate her because well i mean it's it's you're kind of in the same game and the police here are not exactly the same the equivalent of the police in, in the u.s there's a there's corruption at all levels here you know the president or other politicians you know what what are how are they different from narcos from cartel leaders it's well i you know that's i can't really answer that i mean it's there's not a there's not a, a strong defining line between them i think that that's that's kind of one of the the biggest takeaways right from santa muerte is that there really isn't a strong line between these light and these much darker sides of society I, that's to me what I find most intriguing about this particular saint. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's true. Um, I, I, I think too, you know, when you when you get into folk spirituality, 
the Spanish conquest here was done in a really strange way. They took the um, Aztec priests who, who were, you know, their, their hair is like matted together with dried blood from human sacrifices, cut their hair, you know, clean them up, give them a, a little talk about, you know, our, our Savior Jesus Christ and the Virgin and all of this. They get some cursory understanding of this, and then they make them Catholic priests. Um, I, you know, I'm sure this went on this way pretty much everywhere that the Catholic Church did their imperialism. But it's, you know, it's a rather hasty sort of conversion. I mean, it's not like 2,000 years of uh, coming to an understanding. It's, it's rather quick and messy, and a lot of the old religion persists. There's a, there are a lot of elements that, that, that are still there. And, you know, people ask questions, um, or people say things that make perfect sense uh, rationally, like, well, uh, Satan was also created by God. Lucifer was the most beautiful angel. Lucifer is the light bringer. What is bad about that? Um, so you you know you would find people in Tepito praying to these entities as well because it's like it's all part of the same the same thing. Yeah, it, it is interesting. I think that another example of that would be the the way that the devil is portrayed in the Old Testament versus the New Testament kind of thing. You know, very different versions of this idea. I think. So let's say that, you know, somebody's curious about Santa Morte. So I belong to a Facebook group, and there are a lot of questions about getting into the worship of Santa Morte, how to do it properly, stuff like that. What, what kind of advice do you think that you would give somebody who's new to this and coming to this saint? You know, when it, in, in this, the, the research I was doing, um, I, I never looked at what was going on in the States because that tends to be so different than what goes on here. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the States, um, like I, I've, I've asked people around here before, like, do you know what a Chicano is? And they'll pause and be like, hmm, someone from Chicago? <laughs> <laughs> Mexicans are not into typography. The way, you know, everything in the States is like put into these different categories. Uh, like a Mexican person in California is a Chicano for some reason, but not in Texas. There, you know, I, I came across this, uh, this thing not long ago of uh, Sureños y Norteños. And I thought, oh, it's Mexicans from the north, Mexicans from the south of California, not of Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> you know, again, like Mexicans in Mexico, you're just Mexican, whether you're from Sinaloa or you're from uh, uh, Mexico City, you know, whatever. You know, it's you're just Mexican. I guess it's, you know, this a thing of... Uh, immigration that you become, there's this typography, this uh, uh, categorization of, of things that, you know, in the home country just don't matter. So yeah, I, I guess not, if you're in the States and you can't go to Barrio Tepito, you get yourself, a, you know, some sort of image of Santa Muerte. There, there are other like books, uh, pamphlets and things that are put out like, you know, by devotees that, that, that teach you like, you know, how to set up an altar uh, what are proper offerings, you know, various rituals that you can do, you know, if, if you want to worship Santa Morte. I mean, I, one of the things I would say, and this is something that, you know, people are typically warned against, is that, you know, if you get into some sort of relationship with her, if you're asking her for things, then you better, you better be paying her back. This is one of the reasons I, 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 I asked her pretty much, you know, to help me with my research, to help me to help her. 
rather than for any sort of personal gain. But of course, there are people who do this for personal gain. Mexicans typically pray for work, whereas an American would pray for money. <laughs> you know, and I, I've brought this up with them before, and they're like, well, without work, I, I mean, money's not just going to fall from the sky. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know. I, Americans, I think, might beg to differ. Yeah, if money does fall from the sky, like in the, you know, some sort of unexpected windfall, but that means you don't have to work. And I think that's more of an American thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, generally Mexican prayers are like for good health for and for work, uh, good health so that I can work. Which, you know, it seems, um, you know, humble in a way, but then practical also. I, I guess there's the thing of, you know, supposedly there are things that you can't ask the Virgin for, but you could ask Santa Muerte. This, you know, gets into more, I guess, baser things. And baser things could even be, you know, love, however, you know, quote unquote, however you construe love to be. Uh, binding spells and things like this, you know, uh, you know, hold, holding up you know, a man to, you know, like binding him so that he stays with you. These are, these are not things I would recommend. I mean, I think the karmic debt there is significant, but I mean, that's there. And so if, if someone wants to uh, find your book, can you give us a little bit of info about, your, about where to purchase your book? Um, well, it's on, it's on Amazon, um, Barnes and Noble, all, pretty much all of those. I, it's on like Norwegian book sites. Um, <laughs> saw, saw this not long ago. They they suggested uh, you know when you when you purchase uh, Santa Muerte in the Mexican Death Cult by Antonio Primavera, you might want to consider pairing it with Mich Michelle Obama's uh, biography. <laughs> like, it's an yeah. interesting combination. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I see. I see why those two go together. <laughs> I think I've mentioned this in the past, but I'll be, I'll say it again. I, I really think that it would be helpful or, you know, um, an interesting sort of way to go with this. If you still wanted to have more conversations about Santa Morte, is to actually, you know, start using more social media about your time in Mexico City and the experiences that you've had there and sort of documenting them, you know, in stories and in pictures and stuff like that to see it on Instagram or Facebook or something like that. I don't know if that's something you're interested in, but I think it would be very cool to see you do something like that. Yeah, I, I really dislike um, <laughs> social media. I, I don't know. I think uh, iPhones or maybe more worse than nuclear weapons. Uh, <laughs> I think probably Steve Jobs is like in some horrible bardo of like hungry ghosts now. Uh, I know he's like a saint to a zillion people, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I think because you can do something is not a good reason to do it. I don't know. I, I, I think it's like, you know, putting uh, dangerous weapons in, in the hands of children. I, this probably makes me sound like a Luddite, but uh, we, we still don't know the, the amount of damage that's being done by these things now. Right. Now, you know, as a therapist, you see this all the time, you know, the divorces and whatnot caused by Facebook. Well, it's, again, you know, it's the acceptance that regardless of what, however we move forward technologically, there's always going to be a dark side to it. And, and that's what I love about the, the, the whole idea of Santa Morte. It's like, okay, there's going to be a dark side. So we might as well admit it 
you know, embrace it. We don't let it may necessarily run the show, but we definitely have to acknowledge that this is a part of this. Yeah, I, I guess, I mean, there's um, spiritual technologies as well as, you know, electronic technologies, you know, are powerful and, and potentially dangerous things. Uh, I, I think there's a level of maturity that's, that's needed, you know, with these things. I mean, like, um, could you do some practices, uh, spell, you know, whatever that could harm your enemy? Sure, sure you could. But what, what's it going to do to you? Once you start going down that, that path, um, you just, you'd be better prepared, be prepared to accept the consequences because what goes around comes around. Uh, it's, you know, uh, there's a karmic debt that, that has to be paid. And so I try to keep things, um, let, let nature work that out herself. You know, sure, I've, 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 I've had some bad thoughts uh, about people who have wronged me or, or, or whatnot, but um, I figure that's gonna all even out uh, in its own way without me taking action to do something about it. Others, I'm sure, there are plenty of others that think otherwise and would have no problem uh, trying to harm someone spiritually. So Antonio, on, on your website, I know that we've posted it on our website before, is there a way that people can contact you or reach out to you if they did have further questions? Is that something that you would be open to? Sure. Uh, yeah, um, antonioprimavera.com. Great, yeah. So we'll, we'll put another link to that on our website. So everybody knows that I'm interested, I'm fascinated by this topic, but I was curious, so what, what are, after hearing the interview, what was your sort of takeaway from that? You know, it's interesting. In American culture, we tend to glorify violence. You think about all of the most popular movies, TV shows, etc., and many of them depict brutal violence. In fact, one of the criticisms of American culture is our tendency to fetishize violence. Hmm. But while we watch and consume violent media, we don't tend to talk much about death. It's a somewhat taboo subject in our society. We hide away those who are near death in nursing homes and hospitals. Right. And we have very few death rituals or rituals for us to remember the deceased in our culture. I think this is related to our fear of death. The unknown tends to spur anxiety for most people, and death is truly the ultimate unknown, in my opinion. I wonder if we did confront death, talk about it, acknowledge that it's a natural part of life and the value of our mortality, if that would help ease our anxiety about it. Even just having a way to manage it, sit with it, and remember those who have passed could potentially help those struggling with grief and help to address the anxiety of our own mortality. You know, in, in Mexican culture, it seems that they have a pretty different view of death and dying than we do in the United States. And it seems many cultures around the world have very different view and appreciation of mortality than we do in this country. I've not been to Mexico City and seen the Shrine to Santa Muerte or joined in the celebration of Dia de los Muertos, as you have, David. But in discussing Santa Muerte and all she symbolizes, it made me think of the Capuchin crypt we visited when we were in Rome. Do you remember right. that? Oh, yeah. Uh, creepy, for sure. The Capuchin Order was an order of Catholic monks, which was established in the 16th century. They built a very now very famous church in the 1600s, which has come to be known as the Bone Church. This church consists of five rooms, which are decorated using the bones of over 4,000 deceased friars. 
One room is decorated using mostly human pelvises, one is decorated in skulls, and one even includes two severed mummified arms. In several of the rooms, there are robed, hooded figures, which, I don't know about you, David, but it reminded me of the Grim Reaper. Yeah, for sure. And walking through the Bone Church, it was really interesting. You know, you said that it was creepy, but for me, even though I was surrounded by human remains, it didn't feel creepy or scary. Hmm. There was nothing about it that really increased my anxiety. Rather, the way the remains were arranged in decoration, it was really beautiful and almost celebratory in nature. And the guide who was with us explained that this was the Capuchin monk's very intention. They decided to decorate their church in this matter not to create fear of death, but rather to remind people to appreciate life so that they lived life to its fullest, and they did good deeds while on earth. They used death as a reminder to live. And it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, David, but it seems that Santa Muerte serves a similar function. And when we think of it in that manner, she encompasses not only the darkness of death, but the light of living. The reminder that life is short and precious, and that we must never take it for granted. Not because death is bad, it's just part of life. But it is that one thing that unites all living beings. It cannot be avoided, no matter how much we attempt to ignore it. And when we think of death as giving life meaning, then we no longer need to avoid it. So that, I mean, that's kind of what all of this discussion and talking with Antonio, reading his book, I mean, that's really kind of what it made me think of. Yeah. it's It seems like in order to truly know something, you have to know its opposite. Right. Right. I know that I have really given away my fascination with Santa Morte over these two episodes. To me, there is something very spiritually nurturing about this folk saint. It is an organic creation that springs from the unconscious yearnings of many working people in Mexico City. Santa Morte seems to offer respite and comfort to those who would otherwise consider themselves forsaken by the prescribed orthodoxy of mainstream religion, in this case, Catholicism. Santa Morte seems to make room for those living on the margins and for those who otherwise feel marginalized in some way. In this sense, Santa Morte represents a very intriguing expression of dark psychology. How do we embody that which we fear the most? How do we give it a voice or a face? Carl Jung once wrote that what you resist will persist. We see explosions of our shadow in so many places. War, crime, drug addiction, the destruction of the natural world, hate. I think Jung would argue that these are all examples of what happens when we don't do our shadow work. That is, when we take our darkness and then try to deny it, hide it away, push it into a closet somewhere and pretend it doesn't exist. At some point, collectively, we will be forced to look at our own darkness and we will see ourselves staring back. When we can dance with our darkness, rather than seek to deny it, we will learn how to manage it. Santa Morte seems to give people a very concrete way to do this by worshipping something that accepts our whole being without judgment, darkness included. There is room for everyone. I think that if we worked harder at accepting our own darkness, maybe we would make more space for everyone rather than continually divide ourselves into these often arbitrary categories. But that's another episode. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's something that we come back to time and again in this podcast is this idea that darkness is part of all of us. And of course, you know, some of the topics that we discuss are very extreme cases of darkness. And we've even talked about how those explosions can happen when people don't do their shadow work, when they deny those dark parts of themselves. 
And uh, so I think that your your appraisal is very eloquent, and and certainly Antonio's research really helps us to understand and see how other cultures accept that darkness. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So you weren't creeped out at all by the Capuchin Bone Temple? No, I mean, it was kind of interesting because I expected to be creeped out by it. But it really did kind of give a different a different emotion to death. I, I don't know how else to explain it. Yeah. And, and just hearing over and over that that was their message is that remember death so that you live. Right. Um, and I just I thought that was very powerful. And I think that that's part of what Santa Muerte also represents. Sure. Yeah, I could I could easily see that. Yeah, that was an interesting experience for sure. And I had sort of forgotten about it until you brought it up again. But I remember going down into the crypt and actually seeing bones inside of the areas that they had cleared away to put bodies and they how they would stack the bodies down in that crypt. Yeah. And then coming upstairs to the actual museum and then seeing the artwork that had been done out of human bones. Yeah, and it, it is a museum now, but it was a functioning uh, church for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's very interesting. If you're ever in Rome, I highly recommend you check it out. So uh, we'll have links to Antonio's book and website on the discussion page of our website at psychologyafterdark.com. So please be sure to check those out. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Psychology After Dark. And as always, if you're enjoying our podcast, please give us a five-star rating and tell your friends about us. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with a brand new episode about another dark topic. Yeah, I just wanted to throw out there also on Instagram is Psychology Before Dark, which is our Instagram page where Dr. McConaughey and I share some of our adventures and some of our travels. Um, For those of you who don't know, we both love to travel. And it's one of the ways that we really connect with our own psychology and the psychology of people who are very different from us, culturally speaking. So if you're interested in what we get up to on our off time, please check it out. Thanks so much for joining us. The information contained in our podcast, on our webpage, and on our social media pages is for entertainment purposes only. All views expressed are solely those of the individuals involved and do not represent the opinions of any entity whatsoever with which we have been, are now, or will be affiliated. The information is not meant to diagnose or treat any mental health condition. If you are experiencing mental health symptoms, we encourage you to contact a mental health provider in your community. If you are experiencing a mental health emergency, please call 911 or go to the nearest emergency room. Today's episode was written and hosted by Dr. David Morelos and me, Dr. Jessica McConnell. It was edited and produced by Dr. David Morelos. The songs in this episode were Dubstep Slow Motion by Cool Loop and The Arrival by Liskus, both provided by Gemendo.